Welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. Each and every one of you happy warriors. I'm so delighted that you're there, and I appreciate your participating in the show. And I also appreciate everything that you do to promote the show and bring in new happy warriors. Uh, because the more there are, the stronger the community becomes, and the more energizing it becomes, and the more encouraging and the more motivating it becomes. So welcome to the show I am your rabbi, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, revealing how the world really works. And one of the important ways in which the real world really works is recognizing that uh, in many important ways, the world stays the same. In other words, the way I always tell it to you again and again and again, don't know why you make me repeat everything like this, the more that things change, the more we must depend upon those things that never change. And uh, there are several things that never change. Uh, the differences between male and female. Sorry, folks, it doesn't change. Uh, the, um, you know, are there exceptions? Yeah, obviously, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, the need that everybody has for money and people's ambivalent relationships with money, yep, that never changes, that's for sure. Uh, the uh, indulgences that we engage in uh, with respect to our bodily appetites, uh, those struggles and those confrontations are as real today as they were a thousand years ago uh, to our ancestors. But there's uh, another area that doesn't change at all, and that is death. The, the impact that death has on people, the terror and dread that it holds in people's minds, and the influence that that has on our lives. Now, that's something that isn't any different from uh, for today than it was many, many years ago, and the only difference is that if our ancestors lived natural lives, shall we say, on the farm, um, there was not only a more everyday uh, consciousness of death as animal life around them dies, uh, plant life dies. You know, people who live in a city and have never really been part of the country uh, probably aren't even really aware of how uh, vegetation dies during the winter and how it springs back to life with a marvelous, energizing resurgence of vitality in the spring. Um, they, people aren't necessarily uh, aware of that, but in the country, they weren't. What's more, in the country, uh, people are surrounded by the antidote to death, which is life. Uh, when you see a whole flock of newborn lambs gambling across a field, uh, your soul can explode with joy. But again, uh, to us city folks, that is something we don't see. Uh, when a newborn calf nuzzles up against its mother and, and reaches for the milk, uh, these are things we don't get to see on a daily basis, but these are antidotes, instead of which we do get ample doses of death. That is sadly what we do. And I can hardly be uh, recording this show towards the end of the month of May 2022, close to Memorial Day, uh, with ignoring the uh, horrible shooting 
at the Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. 19 children and two adults um, killed by a, uh, an 18-year-old boy. Uh, you know, what does it help to say clearly disturbed, right? Stick to the facts, Lappin. 18-year-old boy, that's all there is. Now, look, um, this is a difficult thing for me to do. But as you know, my job is not to massage you with warm butter and certainly not to massage myself with warm butter. It's certainly not to tell you the things that you will enjoy hearing, but it's to tell you the things that are meaningful for you to hear, things that will stimulate your growth and your development, things that are truthful, even if they're not always the most pleasant things to hear. So uh, let me say then right away, I do not want to indulge myself or I certainly do not want to patronize you, happy warriors, by pious emoting. I don't want to go on about, oh, our sadness at this unthinkable tragedy. Um, our prayers go out to, how could this happen in this United States of ours? What has happened to us as a nation? Look, um, I'm not a politician. I'm not running for any office. Of course, I was shocked at the news. And of course, I don't like hearing of death and suffering. But on this show, I don't have to sell you on the idea that I am a caring, loving, compassionate human being because it's irrelevant. It has nothing to do with my value to you. My feelings and emotions are useless to you. You need the information that I know, not the feelings in my heart. Are you okay with that? Can you understand that? Do you do you think that you need me to reassure you that, oh, I'm overwhelmed with tragedy at what happened there? Is that what you need to hear from me? I do not believe it. I know my happy warriors. Do I have feelings? Yes. My family is acutely aware of how deeply I feel certain things. But I would be posturing before you if I went on and on and on about this. Look, uh, since January the 1st, 2022, in about the last 150 days, since January the 1st to the day I am currently recording this show, over 225 people have been shot to death in Chicago alone. And that is not counting the far higher number of uh, shootings with fatal intent because as i've explained on a show recently well, not recently a while back i've explained that the miracle of modern medicine and the efficiency of emt services and what goes on in hospital trauma centers and emergency rooms is that the kind of shootings that even only a few short years ago would have resulted in death today lives are saved and so when I say 225 people have been murdered with shooting in Chicago since January the 1st, it's more than double that number that were shot with intent to commit homicide, but they managed to pull through. So um, those are big numbers. I want you to just, if you just do the arithmetic and you'll see that the recent Texas death toll that I was started the show telling you about happens literally every two weeks in Chicago. Every two weeks. 
So I would be a complete faker if I devoted the show to, oh, how could this unimaginable tragedy happen? What are you talking about? You know, it, it happens all the time. Every two weeks in Chicago is the, are those numbers. And uh, how about the death toll on our streets? You know, what sort of nation would allow so many people, two and a half thousand people dying every month on the streets of America? Okay, listen, we, we, we have to be able to think about death in a realistic way. And, and that means dealing with it as a fact of life, if you like, rather than as an opportunity to prove how pious we are. All right. Yes, um, I, obviously I had feelings upon reading about it, but I have feelings about hearing of the death toll of streets when I hear of somebody died in a gruesome road accident uh, of course I have reactions and I have emotional feeling. Of course I do. But that's a total waste of time for you. For me to talk about that means that I'm somehow trying to sell you on something. I'm trying to get you to like me for some obscure reason. No, let's not play those silly games. Let's use our time together for mutual growth where I can contribute to your becoming a bigger, better, and more effective human being. And in so doing, I also grow and benefit. So, so I, uh, yeah, I, I don't pay attention to all the outpourings of, of sadness. Oh, how can this happen? How could we let this happen? We're a better nation. It makes me sick to listen to the president of the United States even telling us about his emotions. <laughs> Uh, you, you'd really would have thought that from leaders, whether it's in politics or in business, um, in, in almost every human sphere, the role of a leader is not to show his feelings, to expect to be judged on the basis of how deeply you feel something um, is fake. It's completely inauthentic. Um, the way you show uh, empathy is by how you act, not by what you say. That's all, that's all there is to it. And so uh, uh, infected as they are by the, uh, the ever-present uh, polling issues and photographers, uh, they've all become very effective. It's not just in the United States, by the way. It's in other countries as well. Uh, politicians become very conscious of what they call the optics. You know, how does this look? How does this sound? And so what's coming across is not leadership, it's not direction, it's not truth, that's for sure, it's not truth, but instead of it, it's all this emoting and uh, talking about feelings and feelings and feelings. Uh, it, it, it's useless to you, completely useless. And so, uh, uh, you know, and it's, oh, it's so terrible, these were young people at the beginning of their lives. Look, if you're telling me the death of young people is more tragic than the death of older people, that's simply not the case. To their loved ones, it's exactly the same. It makes no difference. And to strangers, a person is a person. And indeed, if young is more tragic, then surely the killing off of babies in utero 
is surely the worst, the most tragic thing imaginable, which is clearly not what everybody thinks. Secularism, the, the banishing of God, even the extirpation of a phrase like an act of God, encourages the idea that everything is in our power. You can control COVID with holy vaccinations. You can sp- uh, stop the spread of COVID with holy mosques. And um, what do you mean men can't have babies? Of course they can. We control everything. One of the reasons for growing popularity of euthanasia on the left around the world, it takes away external control, even of death. And more on that a little bit later. Every single time there is another newsworthy shooting event, and as I said earlier, Chicago is far too mundane to mention in the news, of course, Uh, they ignore the fact that the Texas toll occurs every two weeks in Chicago at the present time. But every time another newsworthy mass shooting event happens, they, by the way, the news media term mass shooting is any time more than four or more people are killed. And we, we hear exactly the same cries. We've got to stop this, etc., etc. Um, it's it's the it's the the uh, disease of do something itis. We've got to do something. Listen, not everything requires an action. You know. Not everything requires, we don't, we don't assume that politicians can make all the sores go away. No more boo-boos with elect me and nobody will feel any pain anymore. Come on. Have we really got to the point where we're comfortable being patronized by politicians who treat us as little children and little babies? For heaven's sake, we're not university students. <laughs> we don't have to be handled with kid gloves. Ah, Look, it would be nice if we could control everything, I suppose, but that's not the world in which God placed us. And even if there are people who can make a difference, it's not we. We isn't who could have done something. Who could have done something? Well, let's think about that for a little while. Um, is, you know, in 2017, more than 15 people were shot by somebody from a hotel window in Las Vegas. People were at a music festival down below, and he shot down, killing more than 50 people. Uh, By the way, I think a lot of the uh, truth about that has been concealed. I don't believe we we know even close to the reality of what really was going on there and why. But um, regardless, every single time, um, you know, these things happen, we, we hear exactly the same cry. Well, it's guns, it's guns, it's the guns. Well, a really worthwhile thing for somebody with a brain in his head to uh, contemplate is, is it guns or is it the people holding the guns? We've got to think about that because, after all, in the United States of America up through the 1970s, high school boys had guns. And guess what? They brought them to school with them. And they either left them in their cars in the school parking lot or they took them into the classroom and they put them in the corner. There were plenty guns around. But you didn't have these kinds of shootings. So is it possible that it's not the guns that have changed, but it's the people that have changed? 
Uh, Israel has a huge number of firearms. You can't walk in the streets of Jerusalem or Tel Aviv without seeing somebody carrying a, uh, uh, a machine gun. Look, it's not guns. Is it violent entertainment? No. That has been around for a very long time. In fact, since movies began in the early 20th century. And um, maybe, maybe we need to ban guns. What, like Chicago has done, like New York has done, like Baltimore has done. Yeah, ban guns. No, we've got to ban guns everywhere. Because right now, guns are coming into Chicago from Indiana. Well, uh, maybe guns would come into America from Mexico. You know, because if there, anytime something is prohibited, uh, a very healthy market develops in supplying that whether it was uh, alcohol during the prohibition in the early 20th century um, or drugs in the present time, you make something illegal, there is no problem obtaining these things. And all you're doing is creating an entire market that flourishes in making available the hard to get. That's how capitalism works. Violent entertainment, now that's been around, as I say, since the early 20th century. Um, here's something. In the last 40 years, since 1982, America has had 123 mass shootings, according to the media definition of mass shootings. Um, how many of them have been done by men and how many by women? How many by boys and how many by girls? Well, out of 123 such uh, shootings... Only four of them have done, been done by a female. So if men and women are exactly the same, which we're now beginning to be told, yeah, there's no difference between men and women, do you think we should look into that question? Like, why is it more boys than girls? And um, there's been no exception to what I'm about to tell you. Every male shooter has been a boy, with the exception of those four girls, who has been either somebody who didn't know his father or has been estranged from his father. Could that be relevant? Look, in any event, you've got to know that any time people give only one explanation for complex events, you know they have an agenda. I'm, I'm just raising several other things that surely could have something to do with it. Here's another thing that... I think had something to do with the fact that there were so many 19 children, two adults. How did that happen? Well, how about if uh, I tell you that police stood around outside the school after the shooting had begun for more than an hour before they did anything? We saw exactly this thing happen, and this was the first time the public became aware of this truly shameful phenomenon. And that was in April 1999, right? 23 years ago. Uh, some of you will remember Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. Uh, these are, are youngsters, 18 years old. Um, shot up the uh, Columbine School outside Denver in Colorado. And uh, again, the response was, well, we've got to do something about gun control in the United States. That's the only thing. You don't think it's got anything else to do. You got, it's got nothing to do with some of the other things I've spoken about. 
Don't they want to be looked in? No, not if you have an agenda. There's only one thing to, that's a general rule, by the way, get used to it. Anytime somebody reacts to a complex set of circumstances with only one thing repeated again and again and again, look, there's an agenda. I remember even as, as a relatively young child, a young boy, um, I remember that uh, my mother, over a certain issue, used to go on and on and on with exactly the same thing every time. And eventually, I remember saying to her, look, I can't take that seriously because you clearly aren't thinking about any other possibilities. You're so locked into this one explanation. You're so sure that's all there is to it. And, um, you know, and, and to her, uh, her great credit, um, she kept quiet. She understood. I was just a kid. But it, it doesn't sound plausible when complexities of life are attributed to only one simple thing. Oh, yeah, if we ban guns, that would do it. Okay. I've covered in the past why leftist governments anywhere in the world, whether it's Cuba or the old Soviet Union or North Korea or China, leftist governments don't want citizens to have arms. They don't want citizens to be able to defend themselves. That's all there is to it. Because government must be depended upon for everything. Look, when you get right down to it, they don't want you to have cars either. They make owning a car more and more cumbersome and more and more difficult. Because ideally, they do not want you to have independence. They want you to use public transport. Now, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that in this show. Um, because it's not the topic for now. But, uh, but it's too much for me to believe that in the light of a complicated set of circumstances like mass killings, all of which overwhelmingly seem to be committed by boys and, um, uh, and things haven't changed. Gun ownership and gun availability has not changed. It's not become easier in the United States. It's become more difficult. And yet this is still happening. Entertainment hasn't changed. Uh, but wait, certain things have, and that is the collapse of marriage and family. So let's at least talk about that. And let's talk about the fact that police stood around, both in Columbine 22 years ago, in 23 years ago, and every other mass shooting that's happened, including Parkland in Florida and, uh, and uh, Texas uh, this week. The police stand around, in this case, for over an hour. So much so, by the way, that distraught parents arrived at the school desperate to go in and put themselves between the shooter and their children, and the police arrested them. Nobody's going in. Our job is to maintain. Look, there's something very shameful going on here. There's something very, very bad going on. And in order to understand how the world really works, it's worth your while spending a few minutes thinking about this. The mechanism is simple. Uh, many years ago, police unions uh, established the rule that police should not be placed in situations of danger. And so when police negotiate contracts with the cities that employ them, salary is negotiated not by the police but by the unions and working conditions are negotiated by the unions and one of them is that in these situations police do not have to go in in this case the 18 year old shooter uh, in um, in texas uh, was shooting from outside the building into the building for 12 minutes 
and the police didn't do anything. The police station is really nearby. It wasn't until a, uh, a border patrol agent whose child was in the school arrived and uh, the police tried to stop him going in. He went in and took out the, uh, the kid. Now, look, I'm not an expert at this, but clearly to me, uh, the police have been lacking training in this because even me as a layman, look, there, there's a lot of different ways to deal with a single shooter. It's not a lot of shooters. It's one single shooter. So send in a whole bunch of police from different directions. Let some come through the window. If they have to repel from the roof, let them do that. If they have to break through a wall, if they have to throw in a stun grenade, if they have to come through the door, look, there are ways that people know how to do this, right? Speak to special forces in the military who know how to uh, clear terrorist houses in the Middle East. Talk to them. This is doable. You don't have to sit outside doing nothing while a shooter has his way in the building for more than 60 minutes and the police are congregated outside uh, focus chiefly on keeping parents away. Let's talk about that. I don't know what the death toll would have been, but I think we can safely say that if the police acted immediately, I think we can safely say it wouldn't have been 19 kids. So let's talk about why that happened. No, only gun control. That's the only thing we're talking about. There's an agenda going on. Doesn't make sense. And so... Um, Let's, let's also include other things. Let's talk about what's wrong with how police are trained. Let's talk about what sort of police are we hiring that are, and by the way, the, uh, one of the, the lieutenants in charge of the police force in uh, Texas on this matter actually said, I'm sure he's going to be severely dealt with by his own brothers, but this is what he said. In a news conference, he said, uh, um, we could have got shot at, we could have got hurt. Seriously. So then why do we need police? The whole idea is heroic first responders, people who are willing to go into risk and danger so that civilians can survive. That's what police are for. And you don't have to become a policeman if you don't want to. But all the many years that police did act heroically, they had no trouble um, attracting police because real men want to display their courage and want to act in a protective role. And so talk about what's gone wrong in that area. Um, so really, is the only problem in America too many guns? Or maybe police being too slow to go in has something to do with it as well. Could there be something about how we are raising boys and that they're different from girls? No, nobody talks about that. Could it perhaps be linked to the collapse of marriage and family? As I said, without exception, every one of these male shooters has either not known his father or been estranged from his father. Uh, is it the entertainment industry? Could that be it? Is, is it that maybe there, there is too much killing in video games? I don't know. But surely it's worthy of conversation rather than simply blaming everything on, oh, America has too many guns. Uh, the fact is, America has always been a culture of the Second Amendment. It's always been a culture where uh, people have guns. And by the way, many gun owners own more than one gun. There's probably about a half a billion guns in private ownership in the United States. 
and if we count illegal guns, guns that people do not have the right to own, it may be more. But with a population of 300 million, 330 million in the United States, there are certainly more than 330 million guns. And this was always true. You know, the numbers were obviously lower, smaller population, smaller number of guns. But it's always been, a, and yet, we didn't used to see these things. And so to try and um, bamboozle us to believe that the only problem is gun control, um, we are being patronized, we're being treated like university children. And uh, we, we, we shouldn't put up with that. Um, we should... Um, we should look into the question of maybe the surest way of, oh, we must make sure this never happens again. You know, we keep hearing that from the president. Uh, maybe the way to do that is to make sure every single boy is raised by a mother and a father married to each other. Maybe that's the best way to stop this happening. But no, that is never discussed because, and hear me on this, secular fundamentalists, would rather have the shootings go on than acknowledge that the Bible-originated model of marriage and family works best for society. No, everything is just gun control. That'll solve the problem. We've just got to prohibit gun ownership. That'll do it. Do you think that uh, these mass shootings could have anything to do with a sort of death culture sweeping the country? What is a death culture? It is a way of many people in a specific society living both in terror and dread of death and also in a bizarre way comfortable with viewing it many times a day in their consumption of entertainment. Now, uh, it's worthwhile me taking a 30-second rabbit trail here and just remind you that reading about death in a book is very different from watching it. Uh, there used to be a time when in the United States of America, newspapers would never show uh, dead people. Wouldn't happen. And that was a standard. That was a good thing. Those days have gone, and people are now being death desensitized. Look, God put us in a world in which dying happens. Now, I'm not going to go into the theological discussions because it would be a big waste of your time. But it is worthwhile to pay attention to God's system of dealing with death. Some pretend that it doesn't exist, making sure that they're never without stimulation going on to stop their minds taking them down those dark corners. But still, it does pervade the consciousness. If you like, our spiritual cartography is marked by the valleys of death and the hills and mountains of birth and joy. How, how can death not play a big part in, li in life? Of course it does. The thing is that how you deal with it, there's two, basically two different ways of dealing with it. There are very influential sociologists, um, people like Ernest Becker. He's no longer alive. He died, actually, uh, about 25 years ago. But um, he was 
based he he had a lot of notoriety and fame because his whole theory was everything is about dying everything we do is because of death uh, his famous book was called The Denial of Death. Do not waste your time on it. It's false. It's not true. And um, Ernest Becker became famous as the sort of purveyor of death. Um, I don't know if it was a colleague of his or a student of his. There was a guy, Sheldon Solomon. Still is a guy called Sheldon Solomon, uh, who wrote a book called The Worm at the Core. And The Worm at the Core, right, which is... The, the worm of death is at the core of everything we do. That's, that's the idea. And, uh, and these guys and many others have been promoting for years and years, mostly in the university culture, they've been promoting the idea that uh, the, the most important part of living is the role of death. Look, this is a disaster. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's a dreadful mistake and uh, anybody who pays attention to that part of the culture is condemning themselves to unnecessary misery and unnecessary sadness. When death pervades the culture, I'll tell you what happens. We see an increase in suicide. We see anxiety and depression. Uh, we see many named so-called mental disorders and many more as of yet, unnamed mental disorders. Let me put it this way. Our spiritual stability and our emotional equilibrium is disturbed more by intrusion of the darkness of death than by anything else. So, what is there to do? Well, and look, I'm, I'm sure if you think about it, you'll see that you too have been allowing yourself to be more than is healthy, intimidated and influenced by an aroma of death. So that there's something to be done. Number one, I want to tell you directly and candidly, stop yourself exploring death. Stop titillating yourself thinking about the victims of accidents and the victims of trauma's final moments. You know, this happens again and again. Every single time there is a, a horrible, tragic airplane accident, uh, you see articles and actually talking about, you know, what was their last moment. Do you remember when the Challenger went down? Um, there was an O-ring problem and the, uh, that space shuttle exploded about two minutes after launch. And you'll still find, please don't go look, but there are articles all over the internet of what it was like in the cabin of the Challenger in that horrible plunge down to the ocean where they actually died. Yes, they were alive on the plunge down, but there's a titillating aspect to ourselves and there's something unhealthy in each and every one of us that tries and sort of enjoys these imaginings. It's a little bit like going to horror movies, which you shouldn't do for exactly the same reason. Of course you shouldn't go to horror movies because they give you the titillation of death. Look, this is nothing but mental masturbation. It really is. It's, it's, a, it's a real big mistake. This just thinking about it and, and there's, almost, uh, there's almost an unhealthy glee 
as you sort of think about these things, there's something, is it there but for the grace of God goes I? Whatever it is, don't fool yourself into believing that there is something mature and stoic about contemplating death. Just know that we cannot understand it, right? We cannot understand it. Please believe in me on that. Stop wasting your time. Stop pulling yourself down and dragging yourself down. Don't do it. There is untold damage that you don't feel right away. Do you know what radiation poisoning is when, when you get exposed to a radioactive source? And, um, and it goes on and weeks or sometimes months go by before the damage is evident. Death is like that. Mental meanderings about mortality, yours or others, is exactly like the damage from radioactive sources. You get radiation poisoning and you don't, you're not aware of it. But then weeks or months later, you're feeling miserable, you're feeling depressed, you're feeling down, you have anxiety symptoms. Well, guess what? Maybe three weeks ago, you shouldn't have spent all that time uh, contemplating death. There's, there's no point in it. And the biblical methodology is not to contemplate death. It's not to believe wrongly that uh, the most important aspect of living is death and death motivates us in everything we do. No, no. The important thing is that in living, you've got to try and keep death away from your consciousness. Now, there are times, you know, there are times we're in mourning. There are times we are with close friends who are going through it. And of course, you can't help it. At that point, you are being surrounded by death. And sure enough, um, there is concomitant impact as well, unless you're able to counter that. And that brings us to the second step that you can take. And that is to make sure that your life is filled with life-affirming and joyful things. What are examples? Well, the, the most obvious example is little children and, and babies, either yours or someone else who welcomes your participation in their lives. Engage in future-facing activities, planning future events, um, sharing in the weddings of friends and family. All of these things are the very opposite of me mental meanderings about mortality. And those are the things that fill you with happiness, they fill you with joy, they fill you with meaning. And uh, yes, there, there is no question that a great deal of the mindless pursuit of sex, empty sex, meaningless sex, uh, is an attempt to overcome this because the one time when you really, really are not thinking about death and you are not being tormented by thoughts of mortality and your mind is not wandering around the, the dark byways. No, the one time when you're absolutely not is when you're experiencing sex. And so it's perfectly logical and perfectly understandable that that is an avenue that is sought to try and escape the ever-present existential dread of dying. It's a very, very real thing. And that's why people, wise people, take active steps to keep it out of their lives. Step number one, avoid 
indulging yourself. Stop letting yourself think it. Stop going to horror movies. Um, stop doing things that fill you with shudders of fear. Uh, stop stop contemplating death and its final moments. Don't do that. And the second one is the opposite. Surround yourself with totems of life and involve yourself in forward things because death obviously is the slamming on the door of a future. That's what is so painful, right? It's what it is. There is no future. Death is the end of what we know. Don't make the mistake of thinking that I'm saying it's the end of everything. No, it's the start of a brilliant spiritual reality, the details of which the good Lord has not yet shared with me. And if he's shared them with you, you should definitely be in touch and let me know. Because I will tell you directly, honestly, and candidly, I have absolutely no idea what the details of a spiritual afterlife will be like, other than that I know it will be there. And I know it will be a very good thing. But the details, I'm afraid, your rabbi cannot help you with. And that is the way it's supposed to be. And that's one of the reasons that the five books of Moses are filled with life affirmation. There's no talk in the five books of Moses of the rewards you'll get after you die. None of it is there. It doesn't exist. We're not told that. We're only told about the affirmation of life. And finally, uh, the third of the three principles um, is water. Being around water is enormously life-affirming. Why is that? Well, you probably don't need me to tell you. Our bodies are largely water. The percentage of a healthy human body that is water is very close to the percentage of the Earth's surface that is water. Uh, water is almost synonymous with life in most cultures. And so the idea that water can actually renew yourself, well, now you're looking at the idea of baptism. The idea that immersion in a body of water can actually somehow renew it or provide a rebirth experience. If you like the amniotic fluid of the first birth somehow being reenacted. Look, uh, you can each and every one of you, every happy warrior, uh, probably already has uh, some role of maybe there's a river you like hiking near. Maybe there's a lake you enjoy going to, a waterfall. Maybe you just like sitting on a bench facing the ocean and looking out at the ocean. Don't you come away from any contact with water sort of just feeling a little more tranquil, just a, a little more mentally together? Yeah, that's right. Because water does have the ability to banish what I term the overwhelming subconscious awareness of death. That's right, it is subconscious very often in exactly the same way that radiation poisoning is something so, you're not aware it's happening to you, but it is anyway. And so um, as a society, maybe we have become a little bit too much of a culture of death, right? It's sad, but it's true, we have. Abortion is undoubtedly a part of that. But it's not only. It's that we revel in death. And we, we are accustomed to wallowing in it. 
And I, I have to tell you something else. And again, it's not my intention to offend anybody, I assure you. Whenever I want to offend somebody, I promise you, you'll know. I'd never do it inadvertently or unintentionally, at least to the best of my ability. Um, and so I'm certainly not trying to hurt anybody or offend anybody, but in the, uh, with the principle of telling you the truth rather than massaging you with warm butter, uh, I have to tell you that homosexuality is a death-centric relationship. Not only is it utterly incapable of producing life, but um, unlike heterosexual sex, which is practiced, and I want to be as, as delicate and as discreet as possible here, which is practiced, as it were, through the passage of life, the birth canal, as it were. That is how fresh new life of tomorrow comes into the world as opposed to heterosexual sex, let's just say that it is practiced uh, through the avenue by which uh, the body rids itself of dead cells, dead material, and uh, that from which all life and value has already been extracted. And so, as the, the culture has devolved more and more in the direction of death, uh, you might want to be aware of the damage it can do to the life and the success and the vitality of a happy warrior by uh, remembering, number one, by a deliberate act of mindfulness, stop wallowing in death. Uh, don't watch movies that accentuate death and show too much of it don't do that it's it's not good for you and it has an impact on every aspect of your life and and don't think about it and don't uh, don't believe that there's anything wonderfully m mature and stoic about allowing your mind to go through the the suffering of the dead and the dying no as a person alive and gifted with the gift of life, your job is to try and make the most of life. And you certainly don't do that by allowing death to overtake your subconsciousness. Um, number two, surround yourself with uh, the indicators of hope and future and tomorrow. And those are mostly babies and small children. It's marriages and weddings. Um, it's connection with human beings with whom you plan for the future. All of that is life-affirming. And thirdly, uh, there is a role for water as well, which might surprise you. If you've not spent any time at all around water, uh, you might want to try it and uh, see what happens again, like the damage that comes from by uh, excessive exposure to death, the anxiety and the depression that, that comes down the road. Here, too, the benefits that come from being able to absorb the life-affirming qualities of water, uh, that also doesn't happen overnight. But it's something one tends to see uh, when consistently applied during the ensuing weeks and months ahead. So, uh, my dear happy warriors, that brings us to about as far as we can go today. Um, as always, I want to recommend that you join our Happy Warrior community because building up your life 
keeping deathliness out of your consciousness and to and stopping it having a subconscious influence on your life all of these things are better done in the company and in the friendship of like-minded people and uh, we happy warriors are indeed such a group that does um, strengthen one another's efforts and keep one another pointed in the right direction and uh, i too derive courage and strength and fortitude from my interaction with all of you so i thank you for that um, go to the the website and um, if you haven't yet downloaded the free book called the holistic you go ahead and do that at rabbi daniel and uh, you will be able to become part of the happy warriors community where we would love to see you work on your five fundamental F's in no particular order. Make sure that with uh, the passage of every week, you are more effective with your family relationships, with your friend relationships, with your relationships with money, your finance, your fitness, and your faith. And yes, in the context of uh, the subject of today's um, show, uh, faith is actually enormously helpful in counteracting the default condition for human beings, which is a subconscious and unhealthy preoccupation with death. And so, until next week, I am your rabbi, wishing you a week of moving upwards and onwards with your families, your finance, your faith, your fitness, and your friendship. God bless.